Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dylan. Welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take the time to download our church app. It's the best way to stay connected to the life of the church. All you have to do is go to your app store and search for Church Center, download and enter the information for our church. You will then be connected to our church community. I hope the following presentation inspires you to move closer to God in this journey we call faith. Enjoy. We're in Philippians chapter 2. I will tell you, um, I really felt like I struggled um, this morning with the, the service. And um, one of the reasons is there's a lot of information here. And so I think I locked myself in because we're doing a four-week study and have to, to do it at night as well. So I want to tell you that if everything's not covered here, this is one of the reasons why you should go back and read it for yourself. Do a little bit of study because there's a ton of stuff in there. Uh, there's a lot of commentaries we use for this stuff. And what's interesting, if, if you look at a commentary, which gives you a little bit more in-depth on the scriptures, um, a lot of times they'll take like different um, verses and kind of lump them together, and then you'll get just a short little kind of sentence explaining it. Um, <laughs> this one this week, you, it would do one verse and then have a paragraph like this, and then it was like, I don't feel like I'm the smartest person, so I would read that paragraph, fall asleep, uh, then have to reread it and reread it and try to figure it out and stuff and some of the Greek and stuff they're doing. Um, but there's just, so anyways, there's just a ton of stuff there. So uh, I tried to simplify this and I thought I did and I just felt like it got away from me again. So bear with me today and at the end of the service we'll be doing communion together. So again, we'll be looking at uh, Philippians chapter 2. To start off with, we'll just look at verses 1 and 2 then we'll work our way through the rest of it as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but as a kid, uh, when I would get like birthday or Christmas presents, sometimes my parents would get me um, like a, um, one of those models that you can put together. So it'd be like a model car or a model airplane. And uh, it was great because you would, you would like see that little box and you would see the picture on the front of it and you'd be like, oh man, this is going to be so much fun. I'm going to take time to put this model together and then, um, uh, and then it's going to look exactly like the picture type thing. And uh, uh, so I, had, I, I would say I had high hopes for this. Um, then I would open up the box and I was like, whoa, because there would be like all these tiny pieces within this frame that you had to like twist out or pick out or something. Um, then there was stickers, which I don't know why they were giving kids that because uh, those could end up any place. And then even worse, sometimes super glue, you know, and who knows what was going to happen with that stuff, you know. Oh, and then sometimes they would give you paint, you know what I mean? Like so you'd have more of the table painted than the actual model, you know. So anyway, so you would get into that and you would have instructions, but man, it just seemed complicated. And I have to tell you, like all this hope and all this excitement would generally quickly fade because I would break half of the pieces as I was trying to, you know, get them out of this little frame of a thing. Um, and then by the time, if I got far enough, by the way, because a lot of times you might as well quit because I, I didn't know how anything was going together. Um, but by the time that you got sort of the, the big frame on there, then you either had to paint it or you had to put stickers on there. And, you know, putting stickers on those things, like they make it look easy. But by the time you put it on, it's bubbled. Um, it's probably not the, in, like going the right direction. Or I put it in the wrong place and then I try to peel it back and then half of it's still left there, you know. So... Uh, and then I don't even want to talk about the super glue because I think I had more stuff sticking to the table that I couldn't get up because of it, you know. So, so anyways, I would just like, oh, it would just mess me up. And I would think to myself, like, this is just impossible. And I found myself just being more frustrated and giving up on the whole modeling thing anyways. Well, then they created this thing called Legos. And Legos were the best. 
Uh, and the reason why I like Lego so much, because they didn't have all that other stuff, and their step-by-step instructions were a lot easier. And so I would start with these little models, but then, man, you could get into some of like the big Star Wars stuff. And, and I mean, the picture on there just looked unbelievable. And I love because I would, I would start to put those things together, and, and I had no idea where it was going. But all I know, it had all the pieces, it had exactly marked. So I would start out with one little project over here, start out with something over here. And you would take these blocks and you would take these frames and you build them on top of each other. And it kind of made sense and it snapped together easy and it was pretty sturdy. And then all of a sudden, as we're building this and this, then they would combine these and, and they would start connecting. And before you know it, man, you had something that looked pretty close to what that thing was. And you just felt like so much accomplishment. And I mean, I was just so excited. The other thing that was cool to me is like, um, even if you drop this thing and it like went into many pieces, at the end of the day, if you saw the instructions, you could actually put that thing back together and it be in sort of in the right sequence. And the reason I was thinking about that, when I was reading into this next chapter of Philippians, which the whole really idea and intent is to model Christ. I thought to myself how many times that I think that when we ask Christ into our life and then we realize we have to model him, I think realizing and recognizing the holiness of God can be overwhelming. Um, And when we say we have to model Christ, there's almost this part where like, I'm I'm just not going to match up to him. And so some people have a tendency to get up. I have to tell you in first service, I wasn't in here for some of the worship on second service, but first service, as we were singing, holy, holy, holy. I had to, I honestly had to stop for a minute and I thought to myself, God, there's just no way that I could ever measure up to your holiness. And then a gentle reminder was this, that Chuck, what I did on the cross was sufficient enough. Like that's why I gave you that grace. And I want you to know today that I think that we have overcomplicated, like those early models, I think we've overcomplicated what it means to model Christ at times. I think that we've, we've, we've made it too intricate, we've, we've broken the pieces, and then we've given up because it just seems too overwhelming. And I really want us to think about what modeling Christ is more like. And I may not get this right through the whole piece, so bear with me, because this is the one thing I want you to take away. I think it's more like a Lego set where the blocks are easier to put together And as we're working on this and as we're working on this, I think that there are times when Christ brings that together. And then what we find happening is we begin to look more and more like Christ. You know, I was, uh, uh, there was a marriage I did recently. And there's a guy in our church, and I won't give his full name away, but his name's Cody. Cody has this ability to um, um, make models out of like clay and different things. And he does all the intricate work. Matter of fact, he used to have some stuff that was either in TV shows or movies. Um, the only thing is, most of you might be scared of his stuff because it's more whorish stuff, you know? Like, um, and I'm like, like the first time I saw some people, I was like, okay. And his wife was like, I can't even go down the basement because it's just so scary down there. But he has this way of doing these little fine details. And as I was talking to him, I was like, man, why aren't you doing more of this? And he's like, oh, he's like, because I'm not even close to like what my mentor does. And I'm like, I mean, if you could see this stuff, you would be blown away. But it's interesting, like a guy like that looks and says, it's hard for me to model what somebody else, and I'm looking at it from far away, and I'm like, that thing is absolutely amazing. And so the other thought I think I want to try to connect with you is this, is that there are probably often times when you feel like there is no way that you measure up to Christ, but you may be amazed what somebody else sees, how you live and how you respond differently. 
And so I think what Paul is really calling us to do is how do we model that sort of holy life that Christ put before us? Um, Paul would say basically this, it's important who you model, which is Jesus Christ. And then he would also say, in the attitude with which we model him is important as well. So let's read together just the first two verses to start out with. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Let's pray together. Father, there is just so much here in this passage, and a lot of it we're not even going to be able to get into, and all the theology can be overwhelming at times. I hope that you would help us simplify what Paul was saying so that we have a better understanding of how he's trying to minister to us. I pray that we would leave today uh, people that are challenged in how we live our lives, that we become more like you. And then I pray that the world would see that as well. If there's anything that I would get wrong in the interpretation of Scripture today, I pray that you would clean it up in the ears of your people so yours is the voice they hear from today and not mine. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's get a bigger picture again of who is writing this. This is Paul. Paul is writing the Philippians. This is a church he loved. I want to explain one significant thing about Paul that um, maybe some of you are newer to the faith don't understand. Paul was basically a believer in God, but not necessarily Jesus. And Paul was really, at, before he knew Christ, he was really bent on persecuting the Christians. Like, if you were somebody that said that you believed in Jesus Christ, he would find ways to undermine you, to persecute you, and even really to find some form of death for you as well. He then had an experience with Jesus Christ on the road. And when he had that experience with Jesus Christ, his whole attitude changed, and so all the ways that he was trying to persecute Christians, all the ways that he was trying to live for God the best way he can, that all shifted over until he felt about Christ. Now, the reason why that's important for you, you have to understand that Paul really writes a lot of the New Testament for us. And so, again, the reason why I want you to know this is because there are many of you who will sit in church services and say this. You know, I wish I could become a Christian, but Pastor Chuck, you don't know how much junk I've done in my life. Now, listen. If Paul, who was persecuting and having Christians killed, can be accepted in the faith, guess what? You can be accepted as well. And your life can be totally transformed. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you. So I want you to know about his grace because his grace is sufficient and it is overwhelming and it is powerful. So then Paul writes these words to a church that he loves and in the first, in the first um, sort of chapter, remember, we, we, we talked about the various ways about how we should have joy and how much he loved the church and how much he was pouring into the church. But in this verse right here, he starts out with the word, therefore. And again, if some of you are asleep, get ready because you're going to wake up. Because I want you to understand what the word, therefore, means. Basically, it means this. Hey! All right? That's what it means. And they say if you see the word therefore, you need to find what it's there for. But what Paul wants you to do is he says, I want you to stop for a minute because the next things I'm about to say have to do with the things I just previously said. And the things he previously said in chapter 1 is he talked about a life that is worthy of the gospel, like living for Christ. And he said, therefore, if you believe in Christ, then that means you're willing to follow his commands. And so if you're willing to follow his commands, here's the way that we really should begin to live this out. And so as Paul was talking, Paul was basically giving us and saying that you basically need a model. You need something on the box that you can look at and say, that's what I want to be like. 
And when Paul gets into this, what he says is, he says the example or the model that you're looking at should be Christ. And I want to emphasize that. It should be Christ. It should not be another Christian, even though you might learn things from that. It shouldn't be a pastor, because listen, what happens is this, is we are people that will fail you along the way. Like, I know that I have faults. I know that there are mistakes that I make. I know sometimes I will say something that probably didn't hit you the right way, or you didn't take it the right way, and, and, and maybe I was frustrated one day, and maybe something came out that wouldn't normally come out. And for some reason, like, I can deflate what you think about pastors. And listen, I've had those moments as well. When I was in college studying for ministry, I had this teacher, this professor, he was a Harvard grad, very knowledgeable, very respected in our denomination, who was teaching us, and he was teaching us how to preach, and the guy was so brilliant and so smart. And then years later, we found out he was having an affair. So everything just went out of me. Because this was a guy that I'd really set up on a pedestal. I got the privilege, uh, the first time that um, Russia opened up its doors to Christianity, I was part of one of the first mission groups that went in there. And man, it was an exciting time. We, um, you know, we began to sing the songs about Jesus, and we began um, to teach the students about Jesus. And what was interesting is, as we were there, we had, uh, each one of us had different interpreters. And uh, all the interpreters, when they were first sharing, like when we were talking, it would be very monotone. You know, nothing into it. And then all of a sudden, we found one by one, they began to accept Christ. And as they accepted Christ, what we found is the tone in which they were sharing the gospel was completely different. It was like they were sharing it with the same enthusiasm that we were sharing, and it was very exciting. I have to tell you this. Here's the coolest thing. When I was in Russia, one of the interpreters that got saved, this is interesting, when I went back to seminary later, she became one of my professors. You know what I mean? I mean, that is really full circle, and that was just the coolest thing that has ever happened. But here's the deal. The guy that took us to Russia, we found out that while we were there serving, that he was having an affair with the Russian counterpart. And again, it was just like, crushing blow for me. I want to tell you this. If my faith is built... And my model is built upon other Christians. Like at some point they will fail me along the way. And I'm not saying that we need to look at all the faults in other people. But I'm just telling you this. The model has got to be Jesus Christ. Like that's what we have to model everything after. He will never fail us. He's going to give us a right way to live. And so that being said, our model being Christ. So Paul just says, hey, look, if this is what you've considered, then you're going to follow his commands. And then he gives us a bunch of if statements. Oh, good, now I have a fly that's going to mess with me here. So um, anyways, he has a lot of if statements. And one of the things he says is this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. And then he goes on, if you have any comfort from love. If you have any communion and sharing in the spirit. If any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. I love this idea of encouragement because when Paul gets into this idea of encouragement, he's saying, look, if you believe in Jesus, I want you to be encouraged by these sort of things. 
I want you to be encouraged in your love for him. I want you to be encouraged um, in the things you go through for him. I want you to be encouraged by your partnership with him. I want you to be encouraged by his love. I want you to be encouraged in your tenderness and compassion. And what he's beginning to talk about is, listen, if we've decided to live for Christ, then there should be a difference in what people see. And I'll tell you this, that, that difference can be overwhelming. But he uses the word this. He says, I want you to be encouraged. And the word encouragement in the Greek really has a twofold meaning. One side of the meaning is sort of a, a consolation with you that, look, I know what you're going through. I know the pains and things that are happening in the church. I know the pains and what it's to be like a Christian in this sort of society. But he said, at the end of the day, it's worth it. He's giving them some hope in it. But I identify with you and sort of what you're going through. And again, this is Paul who is actually in chains. And he's saying, I identify with anything that you're chained up to and any of the sort of things you're going through. And so it's a very empathetic sort of word, like be encouraged because we can get through this. And it's even when we take it back last week, he says, some of these things have happened to you so that we can extend the gospel to other people. It's like moving the gospel forward. But then there's a second part to this word as well. Because there's an exhortation that he's giving too. In other words, sort of a command that look, but you need to move forward. Like you need to take the gospel. So even though bad things are happening to you, listen, here's the deal. Like let's continue to move forward. And what he's really getting after that, and I think that this is even a lot with even our society today, but I think so many times where we are victimized by our, our, what's going on in our life. And that's where we sit. And Paul says, instead of being victimized by where you're at, I want you to be encouraged that you can move through this. So some of you may have felt victimized at your job at some time. Maybe you were let go for whatever reason and you don't know where you're going to go. Some of you will sit there and say, oh, no one wants to hire me. I'm, I'm worthless. I can't do this. And Paul says, don't sit in that. Like be encouraged that like, you can get another job and you can move forward. I think one of the hardest things to get over and hearing people's stories is that I think that there's several people who've been victimized by a dysfunctional family. And some of your dysfunction is probably minor, and then others of it is just major things that you've experienced. Some of you have been victimized um, uh, by your parents telling you you're worthless. Uh, some of you have been victimized by your parents not showing how to love one another. Some of you have been victimized by a divorce or uh, beatings. And some of you have been victimized sexually. What Paul would say is like, look, I understand all that you went through. And I want you to know that you can be forgiven, but we can't sit here and not move forward. Paul would tell you this, is like, you need to move forward. If you need to get help, get help. But you need to get out of this. Because if you don't get out of this, you're gonna pass this cycle down to your kids as well. So let's move forward out of that. So he's saying, I want to encourage you to make a different stance. You know, we have so many people who come from so many different situations. And Paul is telling us that we need to encourage one another. You know, um, I think for some people have been victimized by the church. And I have to tell you, I, I honestly, in this last year, um, this is where I've been sitting with people. I can't tell you how many um, staff members, I can't tell you how many people in the church have come up to me and complained about different situations, and this is the hurt, and this is what they experience. And again, some of the things I would consider minor, but it was a big deal to them. Other things that I think were major deals, where they had been violated by the church in some way or another, where they had been let go or they had been talked about or 
whatever, and they felt that real hurt and that pain. Matter of fact, as I'm talking to other pastors, they're feeling the same thing, that people are coming out of hurt situations and coming in to our different churches, and we're trying to sit there with them and help them through that. But Paul would tell you this, look, I know you've been hurt, but we need to move on at some point. Like, it's okay to sit in that hurt for a little while, but there has to be a point where we say that God is enough and we begin to move on. And Paul says, I want you to be encouraged to do that. And listen, church, our job is to encourage people. And so I love what he goes on to next, because as we continue um, to read on in this passage, um, he says this, he says, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And I love this idea that Paul's talking about, because I think what Paul's saying is, in our old sinful way, we very much lived for ourselves. But when I accepted Christ, that all changed. And I started valuing others, more importantly. And I have to tell you, like, I would love to say that we always get this right. Like, we always humble ourselves and, you know, we always take a back seat when we need to. But the truth is, we don't always get this right, do we? Uh, matter of fact, uh, I said this in first service, uh, and I want to be careful in saying this. But if you want to see if Christians are still selfish, um, go to a potluck and see if it's the same people that get up front every time. You know? They want to take care of their food situations before everybody else. Now, I want to pause when I said that because if we have a potluck, I don't want people to go like, I'm not going first because Chuck will be all over me. Like, you know, like, you know. So uh, anyway, so we need to, you know what I mean? We need to be, but I, I just thought it was interesting. Like, what if we began to worry about the needs of others as well? Like, what would that look like? And Paul says, I want you to be encouraged because I want you to value the needs of others. Like, you don't have to put yourself forward. And there are so many times I think that we want the accolades or we want the recognition. And he would say, like, look, just take a back seat. Jesus himself even said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, he thought there was value in letting other people feel value. And I bet if you and I thought about it, there's probably a lot of people around us that need to feel value. And it would be okay for us to take a step back and let them experience that value. And Paul says not only that, he says... Um, but I want you to do this with a humbleness. And, he, and then, again, he starts to model this thing out for Jesus. He says, look, this is who Jesus was. And, and he explains it. He says, uh, and, uh, he says who, uh, talking about Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then here's the result of that. Therefore, God exalted him in the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." I love this idea because what he says right away is even Jesus, when he became a human, didn't consider equality with God something to be mastered. Uh, and we need to pause probably on that statement for just a moment. Because when you and I put the model of Jesus Christ out there, we probably are looking at being exactly like him. And it says Jesus himself 
didn't see even equality with God to be mastered. But he said, but he humbled himself. And man, that is a powerful statement because what he was saying is when Jesus came to this earth, Jesus came in humility. He, he acted as a servant. He didn't do this. Hey, I'm Jesus. You know the name. You know God's my father. And I'll everybody bow down and worship me. He didn't do that. He didn't see that as effective. God didn't see that as effective. What they saw as effective is this, is that Jesus humbled himself. He, he lowered himself to become a man. He got rid of all his power, and then he began to serve others. And then watch what happens. As he begins to serve others, guess who makes a name for Jesus? God does, and the disciples do. They start bragging about who he is. You ever see one of these like athletes and, and uh, football is the kind of thing I watch, but you'll see some of these guys come out and be like, I'm the man, I should be guarding everybody, or I tackle the greatest, or you've got to get the ball more to me. And man, when you hear them bragging all the time, what are you thinking? I'm like, man, would somebody shut that dude up? You know, like I want them to hit him harder in the next game, take that ball in their hands or get the touchdown over him. I just want to see them look stupid and ridiculous. Like that's what I'm thinking, you know? But it's interesting, but you have those guys who aren't all about me, but they're more about the team. And they give, you know, these, these running backs and they give credit to their line for opening up the hole and to making sure they get through. And they give all this credit other places. And you know what happens? What they'll find out is this, is that their linemen will start to talk about how great they are. Their coach will start to talk about how great they are. And the TV will start talking about how great they are. And we'll start talking about how great they are. Why? Because they lowered themselves. They didn't have to toot their own horn, basically. And I thought about this, if you and I get to the place where we begin to serve and we begin to love differently, maybe others will notice in a better way. I want to pause for a moment, and this is just a, it's kind of a secondary statement. We as a church are going to continue to be in trouble when people look at us and see the way we live our lives and they look at themselves and they live a better Christian life than we do. And then what they're going to say is, well, why do I need that? I'm better than most of them. And that's going to be debilitating to us. We have got to live in such a way where there's humility, there's a servantness behind it, there's an admittance of wrong when we do it, so that the world can see that we respond and we react differently. And this is what Paul was getting to. Paul was not saying that you're going to get everything right 100% of the time. What he was saying is this, is though your mindset's going to change to the fact that you're really going to humble yourself and minister to others just as Christ did. Christ was humiliated, he was persecuted, he was beaten, he took all that pain and punishment upon himself. And then on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, and the world still to this day talks about him. And what it says in the scripture, it says, and then God exalted his name. And by the way, that word exalted in the Greek is actually means super exalted. He exalted his name in such a way, listen to this, that verbally they talked about him, and then physically they knelt before him. And when you can have that kind of impact in your humility, it makes a big difference. Jesus was super exalted, and the people responded in an appropriate way. So we get on to the next idea, and we understand this modeling of Christ. But I want to tell you this, too, is like we need to start enjoying what we're building. 
And for sake of time, because I'm, I'm running out, we, and we have communion today, I want you to sort of read that passage together. But what Paul is getting at, he uses the word therefore again. But he talks about working our, our salvation. And when he talks about working out our salvation, um, and I want you to know that in a minute here, I got the notes wrong. So I want to humble myself for a moment, okay? Um, I put don't fear and tremble. That is not correct, all right, with this passage. Uh, you actually need to cross out that word don't and put with with fear and trembling. So Paul says, listen, um, even though you have the model in front of you, you need to enjoy sort of the process. And he says, I want you to work out your salvation or I want you to work out this model. Don't give up, keep going forward. But as you're going forward and trying to work out your salvation, he says, do so with fear and trembling. Now, fear can have basically two sort of deals with. It can have sort of a a bad side to it and a good side. So a bad fear is that I'm so paralyzed that I can't do anything. A good fear would tell you that, um, look, I'm going to pause for a moment and I'm going to walk cautiously. And I love that idea because I think if we learn to set more in the pause and we stop and we try to see what God is saying, I think that would better help us out. So I've often explained when I am um, um, attacked or when I am talked about and somebody does it to me right in the face, my natural reaction would be either to be sarcastic with them, put them down, and in my youth, it would have been to get physical with them. But I appreciate now that I'm walking with God that God has changed my mind in such a way that says, Chuck, I want you to pause for a moment and recognize how you respond. And so in that pause, it allows me not to attack and it allows me not to do stupid things because if I do those stupid things, what I found is this, I respond very poorly and the people will never listen to me again. But if I pause and respond the right way, the way that God wants me to, then I don't lose my voice. I can continue to speak into people's lives. But that's the work of what God is doing. And so there are times... And even when I approach the scripture, because I may read one thing and think, oh, yeah, that's what I need to say. And then there is a fear and trembling that says to me, are you saying it the right way? Like, are you approaching the scriptures with the right mindset? And listen to this even better. And am I the one speaking into you about it? Or is it somebody else or a news station or something? Like, who are you allowing to speak into you with fear and trembling? And so there's a cautiousness then that allows me to walk in the right way. I think that all of us need that sort of pause and that cautiousness that we walk into. And then he says this, and then he says, um, don't grumble or argue. And I love that idea, and I love his phrasing in it, because what he really believes is this. The more we grumble about something, then the more it leads to arguing, which then it leads to really to fighting about it. And he's saying, look, don't grumble about anything. And man, this is where I'm sitting at. So teens... I want, you to, I want you to recognize this right now. Ready? Here's the deal. If you're in sports or if you're in music, I want you to love being in it. I don't think you have to grumble and complain. All right? I, I think you should just love it. Like, I love football, okay? I played football because I love it. If you're going in there saying, I never get a start, I never get to do this, the coach doesn't know what he's saying, I don't like these kids, they don't do their job, man, you might as well get out. Because all you're doing is grumbling, it's going to cause arguments, it's going to cause fractions in your group. Adults, we do the same thing at work all the time. And I would tell you this, if you're working, just go in there with the attitude, I'm going to love what I'm doing. Otherwise, you might as well find something else. Because you're just hindering everybody around you. 
And when Paul's talking to the church, what he's saying is this. Hey, you got problems? Guess what? We all got problems. You having difficulties in your marriage? Hello? There's issues in my marriage, believe it or not. You know? But here's the deal. I'm going to work on it with joy because I love my wife. Hey, you got kids and you're finding it difficult and hard to deal with them? Hello? I'm there with you. Okay? My kids are not perfect, believe it or not. Guess what? They'll tell you dad's not perfect either. You know? And so don't grumble and complain. Hey, teens, don't grumble and complain about your parents. Like, either enjoy that moment. Don't complain about your friendships. Just enjoy the people you're around. And Paul says, look, when it comes to the church, man, church, we can grumble and complain about the dumbest things. We're not doing your music today. Sorry. Sorry, but it's not about you. It's about God. We didn't read your favorite passage today. Sorry. It's not about you. It's about God. And the more and more we grumble when we come to this place, man, we don't look any different than the world. And when the world comes in and says, all those guys ever do is complain, why would I want to sit there? We need to say, what can we celebrate and rejoice about today? And this is what it finds. He says, look, as you live this out, and he talks about being poured out himself because he talks about all the pain and all the frustration and all the stuff that we go through. At the end of the day, if we have the right attitude in it, and we love trying to model Christ, and we love being at church, he says, at the end of the day, others will see that. And he says, we'll shine like the stars, and we'll bring others into the faith as well. You see, how we respond to the gospel, it does impact other people. So at the end, we get into verses 19 through 30. I'm going to move through this very quick. I'm not going to read that whole text, but again, I would tell you to read it on your own. I want you to know this. At the end of the day, you need to celebrate what you're building. Be okay with your salvation. Know that, man, if you're trying to follow Christ, Christ loves it. He's got your back. Like, you can sit in that grace moment, but keep working on it. You may not be perfect. Just keep working on it. It's okay. All right? He wants to be there with you along the way. And then here's what happens. He mentions three people in this, in this next passage. He mentions Timothy. He mentions, um, and I'm always going to get this word wrong. Okay? I could just call him, uh, you know, Mr. E, but it's Epaphroditus. Okay, so if you have that name, um, he, that's another individual. And then Paul mentions himself. And what he's saying, as we celebrate what we're building, and as we enjoy the process, others are going to take note. And that's going to give hope to others as well. And so he talks about Timothy. Timothy would be someone new to them. They've heard about Timothy. They understand that he was with Paul. But Timothy hasn't spent much time with the Philippians. And one thing that you're going to understand is this. Paul says, I want to send Timothy to you. And as Timothy is there, I want him to see you to be with you, to see how you respond to the gospel, to see how you're sharing your faith, to see how you're living your life. And then when he comes back to me, he's going to give me a good praise report. Do you know it's important how we as a church live? Because when new people come in here, they need to feel love and accepted. And they need to feel joy about being here. If they don't feel that, they may walk out and give us a bad report. But otherwise, they come in and say, Jesus is something to be had, something to hold. Then he goes on to the second person, which is um, Epaphroditus. And if you know anything about him, you have to understand this. He was with the Philippians. Um, Paul needed some help, so they sent, they sent him 
with some sort of care packages and to be a servant to Paul. And so he spent time with Paul and he was in the midst of everything that Paul was going through. And here's the deal. He got sick. And because he got sick, there were certain things he, did, he couldn't do. So word got back to the Philippians that, hey, Epaphroditus uh, that you sent, like, man, he's not holding up. He's not doing his job. And Paul said this, look, I know what you've heard, but it's not true. He says, Epaphroditus was with me the whole time. And even in the midst of me being arrested, and even in the midst of all of our struggles, he was there with me. And because he was there with me, experiencing the things that I experienced, he became very ill, even to the point of death. And he says, I'm sending him back to you. You need to know that he completed his job the way he needed to. And here's what I love. He says, I'm hoping to get a good report from him as well. Epaphroditus was with them. So he knew what the Philippian church looked like before he left. And so when he came back, he knew what it was going to look like when he got back. And if he could see a continual growth, that would have been a great report for Paul to get back. Now, this is what I want you to know as individuals. This is why it's important to tell your testimony. Because people will know what you were like before Christ. And then they can see what you're like with Christ. And if they see a change, that might be something that brings them to the faith as well. And then lastly, Paul even talks about himself. And he says, look, I can't be there with you. I'm in prison, I'm in chains, but I hope to hear the good reports myself. That's pretty cool because if we continue to make a name for Jesus, what you're gonna find out will not only people here in this room hear about us, people in our community will hear about you and then maybe even people around the world as we continue to do missions. And so people from afar will know what it's like to be with Jesus and then they'll rejoice as well. You see, today, one of the things we celebrate, and it's what Paul was getting to, he says, even in the midst of life, even in all the struggles, even though it's hard to model exactly who Jesus is, at the end of the day, we as a church need to be unified and understand that he has got to be our final goal. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning, and we're going to celebrate communion together. So we're going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time. And here's the call I want to give to you. You who are walking in fellowship with God and are in love and harmony with your neighbors and who do truly and earnestly repent of your sin and intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God and walking from this time in his holy ways, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and meekly make your humble confession to Almighty God. Let's pray together. O God of grace and mercy, we thank you that you ever loved us and provided for our redemption. We thank you for your son who died to save us and for your spirit who invites us to draw near. Guide us now as we commemorate the suffering of our Lord. Help us to remember the cost of our salvation. Help us to commune with you and with each other. And so we consecrate the bread and the cup, which are here prepared that we are to partake of them. We may receive the spiritual benefits of Christ's broken body and shed blood. In his name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to engage with you at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.